All across the land, people are gathering. Disturbed people. Demented people. Gathering to discuss films. Disturbed films. Demented films. These people know not what they do. They do not think before they speak. For they are bastards. Daily grindhouse bastards. Giving the opinions no one asked for. Yet demand to know. This is... The Daily Grindhouse presents... No Budget Nightmares. Many films have been based on true-life crimes over as many decades as the crimes have been committed, such as Ted Bundy, Ed Gein, two of many famous killers. All films are truly harrowing pieces of filmmaking, able to terrify, unnerve, and provoke emotions and thoughts that stay in the mind long after the tape is rewind, due to the true facts portrayed in the features. But none as yet has been so near to the true horrors as the Summer of the Massacre's real-life killer, Hammerhead. Based on the real, factual occurrences involving a malevolent monster called Hammerhead, whose form of life was cannibalism? This film is a true account of the savage and unabated bloodlust which befell our four very young teenagers. Four who could nor would have expected such mad and nightmarish events that day, which would scare the survivor for the rest of their living days. Episode 3, The Summer of the Massacre. And welcome yet again to another The Daily Grindhouse Presents No Budget Nightmares. With me, as always... Doug, me, uh, sweet <laughs> back from, uh, from dailygrindhouse.com. And uh, today we have a little special treat for those listening. Is that what we... Wait, what's the special treat? It's Turkish Delight. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It is The Summer of the Massacre. And Jesus Christ, even the title of this movie is awkward to say. Yeah, everything uh, about this movie is awkward. I, uh, you know, we, we were just talking before we started recording about um, how we were kind of going to handle talking about the kind of very specific kind of badness of this movie. And it's not going to be easy. I'm a little... I'm a little worried about the kind of territory we might be treading in as we go forward but uh let uh, let there be no question uh right off the bat this is awful yeah yeah you're you're 100 right this is a very specific kind of bad man well actually i would imagine even at this point uh even though we just started there's some indication of exactly how bad it is um, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mo, but I believe this uh, episode is starting with a little bit of a voiceover from you. Absolutely, yeah. I, I do, uh, at the beginning of the episode, before I, before I say episode three, that bit of reading is, is basically the... Crawl, the crawl. Yeah, yeah, the crawl, thank you, from this movie. Yeah, and you read it verbatim. You don't, you don't add anything, you don't take anything away. It's, <clears> that <throat> is how it's written, and in fact, it's, it's... You actually brought a little more gravitas to it than if you were to read it straight, because it 
it looks like, and I'm just going to say it, it looks like an infant wrote it. I well, mean, it's, it's I, like, uh, I tried, I tried, I, I, I couldn't even help myself. It was just like part of like the natural cadence of how I talk is to, is to, you know, to add punctuation where there should be. And, uh, and the problem is like, if I was, if I was to read that entire thing straight up without like reading it as written with its normal punctuation, like I wouldn't have stopped ever. You know, like there was, there was no, I mean, there was, there was a couple of commas. There was the random question mark, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and, and let's face it. The reason that this title crawl exists is that this movie and not just the opening, but the movie as a whole is trying to emulate the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, without a doubt. This um, is a ripoff of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's ba- yeah, it's, ba- it's basically a straight up ripoff. Yeah, it's a British ripoff of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So we can call it the Devonshire upon Upper Sexton Chainsaw Massacre with hammers. With hammers. Yeah, in this case, there's no uh, chainsaw because that would be too interesting yeah. and cool. The killer in this movie, uh, called Hammerhead, or or nicknamed Hammerhead, as yeah. they keep telling us in the title screens, yeah. um, he uses a little tiny hammer to kill people. Go, it's like a one pound sledgehammer. Yeah, and it's ineffective, and it also looks terrible because they use uh, an actual hammer in the movie. And we're not talking about hammer films; we're talking about a hammer that's really ineffectively killing people because it's used doesn't have a, it's not fake so he can't ever make contact with anybody yeah okay actually maybe let's 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 stop being so specific for a moment and let's talk about the plot a little bit so uh, so everyone can be kind of on board with uh, where we're going okay I know you wanted to read the uh, the other <laughs> I feel a little bad after there's there's an opening crawl which uh, which tells the plot which which Mo has already dramatized for everybody <laughs> but even after that there's another title screen which uh, explains how what you're about to see is real. It's based on a true story. So I'm going to get my uh, acting hat on. (laughs) So I'll read out this card to everybody. The events portrayed in the following film were to lead to the most bizarre and weird crimes noted annals of British history. This is the summer of the massacre. Dates, names, and places have been changed out of respect for the real persons involved. Real photo footage taken from scenes of the crimes have been used during the opening credits. Police file number 123BNL. I guess that's a Bernie Glees reference, I would imagine. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, that's going to sound very funky to people because you kind of came a little robotic through the... Uh through the speaker there. If you want to check that out, at this point, the review will be up at dailygrindhouse.com. And please, just to make sure that you're aware that we're not making any of this up, that this is actually what happens in the movie, please go and take a look at it because it's hilarious. Yeah, you know, I I would go so far as to say the second title screen is funnier than the first title screen. uh, Or the title crawl, I should say. It's, It's pretty, it's, oh, wow. It's a little bit more difficult to get across when speaking because there's uh it's not just the word choice that's bad there's weird punctuation yeah, uh, and, and spelling and, and yeah gr- it's, grammatical misuses and yeah it, it's it, it's basically something that never should have been never should have made it into a, a you know like a real movie right yeah so we were talking about the plot of the movie. Now, it's not very difficult to summarize the plot of the movie. You want me to, you want me to break it down for people? Yeah, please, break it down. All right, so here's the plot of the movie. Four limeys 
Uh, hey now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, okay, so we've got four Brits. They decide they're going to go camping. They drive, run out of gas, and then get attacked by a guy with a hammer. Yeah, that sounds about right. And that's basically the entire movie. Yeah, I mean, if you take the plot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a bunch of uh, teenagers or uh, people in their early 20s heading to, well, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, uh, and then they break down. In this case, they're driving a van, and they break down, and they uh, two of them go off to try to find some gasoline, some petrol, and two of them stick around to uh, get murdered by a hammerhead. Yeah, basically. I was just talking to Mo before we started recording about this, but I don't... It's really difficult to tell you, to differentiate between the four people. Um, yeah, I, I, know, I, I don't know who's who. There's One of them is pregnant. We do know that. Yep. I called, her, we, I called her Preggers. Preggers. Now, Preggers uh, and... Uh, who's really the only character of note. Only character of note, despite the fact... And uh, this is another movie that I had already watched. Uh, I watched in May of this year, so this, again, is my second go-around. I did not realize that she was pregnant the first time I watched the movie through the entirety of the of the whole running time. I didn't realize it. Well, I, I you know it, it was actually around the time where they where where they cut back to her. Remember, because there's like a point where Hammerhead drags her off and and hangs her up in in a house, and you know I'm assuming to eat her later because his lifestyle <laughs> is cannibal. But <laughs> so, so I'm assuming I'm assuming he's going to eat her later. And, and it's at the point where they go back to her is where you finally realize, holy shit, she's pregnant. Because at the van, she wasn't. Yeah, she certainly didn't look pregnant. She gets progressively more pregnant looking as the movie goes on. And by the way, it takes place all in one day. So <laughs> this is some sort of, of maybe Hammerhead has some sort of uh, intense rapid pregnancy power that is never mentioned in the movie. But the fact is she doesn't look pregnant. They reference it. I was looking for it this time. They do reference it uh, at one point during the, the in the dialogue. They basically but... mention it once. Yeah, they basically mention it once, and they use it as sort of a depressing coda to the movie as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, really depressing. <laughs> I was depressed at the beginning, so uh, <laughs> it didn't make it any more depressing. No, me. no, that was, that, that, I mean, that was, pro- I, mean, well, I mean, we might as well just tell them what it says, because who cares. But, you know, but at the, at the end, they do yet another exposition screen where they basically explain that, you know, she stumbled, you know, with broken bones and internal bleeding uh, into the nearest village of 30,000 people. I don't know why they needed to tell us what the population of the village was. <laughs> and, and, that she, and that she indeed lost the baby. And it's like, what the fuck? Well, you can imagine me watching it for the first time, not realizing that she was pregnant in the first place. And it's like, oh my God, she lost the baby I didn't know existed. <laughs> yeah, because uh, at, at the earlier scene uh, where, the, where the one time they mention it uh, is basically because one of the other douchebags who I called Spiky uh, throughout the entire movie, he scares her and she goes, oh, you're going to make me deliver or go into labor or whatever the hell she says. Right. You know? Whatever those, whatever pregnant women say in these situations. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know I, anything about women, Mo. I don't know. I've never been a pregnant woman. I I don't know what they say. Uh, <laughs> uh, let, let's um, now the plot itself has a lot in common with the the plot of uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now I, I do want to before we get into the meat of that, there is before uh, we're introduced to these four characters, there is an opening segment uh, yeah. which in, which first introduces us to. 
Hammerhead and first introduces us to the main theme of the movie, which is people running through the woods. Screaming, tripping. And Screaming, he- tripping, um, Hammerhead going, and grunting. Uh, about halfway through the movie, I realized I realized what the situation was, and, and I'm, I'm going to break. I'm, I'm going to let you know. I'm, I'm going to let you in on my secret here. This is what I think is happening. I, I, I have I have a I have an idea th- that this is fact because I am a genius like this. Hammerhead is part dog. Oh, because he is growling and barking through the entire movie. So he's really, I mean, really, he's just he's just part dog, which which would explain the mask. You know, because who would want to see a part dog human face? Uh, you know, he's 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 chasing after the mailman, so to speak. And, you know, and, and granted, you know, when he catches them, instead of humping their leg, he smashes their head in with a hammer and uh, saran wraps them to a tree. But you know, he's <laughs> but, but that that actually happens, folks. Th- yes, this actually happens. <laughs> he he saran wraps a person's head. To a tree. When he pulls out the roll of saran wrap. And, like, he's fiddling with it. Yeah. And then, oh, boy, finally my opportunity. Why is yeah. that in the movie? He's, he's so excited. You know, and I, and I love how he's so gently, like, putting the saran wrap over the guy's face to make sure to not cover the guy's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the guy is dead at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, um, the, the character is dead, but unfortunately the actor isn't, so we don't want to finish hey, now, that job. We're not, we're, we're not being mean today. That's oh, no, I wasn't saying, I, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to imply that I wanted the actor to die. What well, I was, I say, what I was saying was... The guy? Yeah, the spike. <laughs> uh, I have a theory about this movie as well, and again, I don't have any proof. Just like you don't have any proof of your theory, I am 100% certain that this is true, but I have no proof. Uh, and that is that all of the actors that they chose to uh, hire for the film, they're actually blind. Because that's the only way I, if they could explain why they trip over every single branch that they could possibly run into and fall down constantly. Well, that would being... make sense about Hammerhead, too. Because the, yeah. f- the first note I took in the movie was, I don't think that trip was accidental. <laughs> the first seven minutes of this movie, by the way, are basically just one chase through the woods. And this isn't Marilyn Burns in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is n- nothing. This is a nice, bright, sunny day. A really lovely-looking woods, by the way. I, yeah. mean, I think that, that if, if nothing else, director Bryn Hammond in this case, uh, he, he made the movie look nice, but he didn't do it through effort. He did it just by going to a nice place during the day and pointing a camera at the woods. Yeah, the, yeah, the locations were gorgeous. I mean, except for the house. but Except for the house. It was so gorgeous, in fact, that it probably wasn't the most tension-filled place to set your movie. No, probably uh, not. I mean, it looks much more like a place where people might actually want to go camping rather than a place that you're likely to find some deranged maniac based on a true story, probably. Well, and still uh, at large, and still at large. Still at large, so watch out for old Hammerhead. Hammerhead's still, still at large. There are lots of things that separate this movie from a, a real classic film like the texas chainsaw massacre (laughs) Uh, like lots like an incredible amount but the thing that really gets me about this piece of shit movie is that hammerhead just exists right he just kind of 
comes out of nowhere and then he exists. Mm-hmm. Not that I and believe me, I'm not uh, for these remakes of movies where they kind of linger on the people's background and and giving them just just lots and lots of backstory that is unnecessary. But you know, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we learn a little bit about Leatherface and we learn a little bit about his family. And to be honest, the more that you learn, kind of the creepier it gets and the more kind of convoluted and weirder it gets. Here. Hammerhead is just a guy wearing a mask. Uh, he looks like one of the characters in that movie, The Strangers, which came out a few years ago. Yeah. I mean, it looks a lot like that. And it's got a strap in the back, like a real <laughs> strap. You know, this isn't someone, this isn't skin being cleaved off some person's face and, and crudely sewn together. No. This is a Halloween mask. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't know anything about him. And in fact, if it wasn't for the cannibalism at the beginning, uh, I wouldn't really get the sense that that's what he's trying to do is to uh, capture these people for the purpose of eating them, except for maybe the saran wrap thing. Oh, well, yeah, because you got to keep them fresh. Right, exactly. Though we don't see a fridge in his house when we, when we get back to Well, that. that's what the saran wrap's for. Keep, the, right. keep the flies out. Uh... You, know, you, know, you know what else abounds in this movie? is lots and lots of cheesy 80s metal. Like, but bad. You know, like, not like good, like, hair metal. Like, public domain. <laughs> you know, like, 80s metal. There is a theme song for the movie that plays during the closing credits, which actually says the title, The Summer of the Massacre. Uh, uh, but you're right. There's Every time a chase scene starts, you hear this same guitar riff go, dum 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 and it is cheesy. And, and, it's played on a, and it's played on a loop. Like, like the guy didn't... Like, like, like. Obviously, he just had somebody go in and record a set amount of time of music, and then he just looped it. And yeah. like, and the editing, on, like the audio editing on that loop, is so bad that you hear where the track ends and where the track begins. It's almost like there's a pause. And uh, and I and I and you know, like, you know, being a, a sound guy, you know, I mean, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself any kind of like audio nerd or anything like that. But I mean, but I, but I am a guy who works with with audio a lot. And, uh, you know, and, and, I mean, and let me, let me just, let me just break, you know, uh, let me, I keep saying break it down. I don't know why. Like, I'm obsessed with breaking it down, you know. Break it down for me, fellas. Uh, Let me testify. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, during that opening sequence that I did, there is a cut in there, you know. And because I know what I'm doing, you don't hear it. Well, Mo, I, I know exactly what you're talking about here. And you speaking about working with sound, and I mean, that, that really isn't my forte, but I will say that as someone who's aware of how sound is edited for the purpose of making a movie, yeah. this movie drove me insane. Because, oh. and this is the, the major flaw that kind of jumped out at me at first, um, in, the, in the opening dialogue scenes, uh, we get the four characters, and they're talking about how they got this van. Oh, I might as well make yourself comfortable by the time it gets onto the computers. Oh, well, listen to the radio. Well, there's no radio, oh, is there? Oh, he's so stolen. And they had this long, interminably long conversation about the van and whether someone stole it and where shot the fucking map is. I called it shot in real time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all, obviously, they're making up the dialogue on the spot. It, uh, yeah, I... 
you know, it's funny. There's like, you know, you, you said there's like five writers, you know, uh, you know, uh, accredited. Based on a novel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is this based on uh, the novel Push by Sapphire? That's it. That's um, <laughs> oh, man. But just to get back to my point, they, uh, as they're having this conversation, most of it is shot just in, in sort of one take because it doesn't matter if they remember the dialogue or not because they're just making it up. But every time that there's an edit, every time it cuts to a different angle, the sound changes. And you can noticeably change uh, notice it, sorry, you can notice it every single time. Yeah. Because, um, because, of course, you're changing the angle. In this case, you're changing either to a different camera or they're setting up a different angle with the one camera they probably had. And the, the, the audio track noticeably changes. Now, in most movies, you don't notice that because uh, you fade one track into another. You, you uh, put some uh, ambient noise in the background, and you can cover up a lot of those edits. Yeah. Or, you, again, you fade them into one another so they're not noticeable. In this movie... You are aware of every it, single edit. Yeah, it's every edit is a smash cut, and it's oh, it's bad. You know the um, and I and I think I have an idea of where you're going to go with this. Specifically, the I know your favorite scene of the movie when uh, when they run out of uh, and when they run out of gas and the and they go to the overgrown. Uh, uh, petrol station. <laughs> yeah, when, yes, Mo, when their lorry runs out of petrol, yeah, they go yeah, when, to the petrol station <laughs> in order to, uh, because this can't just be a movie where, I mean, you know what's going to happen as soon as they get into a van. Eventually it's going to break down or they're going to run out of gas yeah. and get stranded somewhere. So at some point, they um, they go to a overgrown, abandoned gas station. Now this is the most obvious abandoned gas station ever in that it's, it's got graffiti all over it. It looks like no one has been near it in a decade. I mean, there's no reason that they should expect they're going to find anything what, there. One of the one of the best pieces of graffiti I've ever seen ever. There, uh, I don't know if you know which which piece of graffiti. Oh, I know. I know. You know the, <laughs> giant right on the wall. It just says bollocks to Bush. <laughs> <laughs> Still appropriate, if you ask me. Always. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, it's covered in graffiti. They stop there. He picks up uh, one of the nozzles to see if if there's any gas in the tanks there. And On a completely course, dilapidated pump. Yeah, and it looks again. It looks like it's rusted shut. And when he doesn't find any gas, he he gets really pissed and he throws it down. Urgh. Yeah, urgh. what the fuck was he thinking? It was going to be in there. Like like someone they were just left all this gas yeah. just ready to go just for people like him. Because it's not like anyone has ever been there graffitiing the entire fucking place. But that's also um, but that's also the worst scene in the film, like as far as as far as the audio editing is concerned that, too. That's right, because for the most part a lot of the chase scenes you don't notice it as much because there is no sound. They're not yeah. recording sounds except for the grunts and the and there's music covering the background. Yeah. But in that one it's all ambient noise and it's real sound being recorded as they go. And you're right, every time they edit, it's just like a kick in the face. Yeah, because they're filming next to a busy street. It's next to a busy street. Now, they've been complaining at this point how they're in the middle of nowhere and they don't know where they're going and they're lost and that sort of thing and they're running out of gas. They're, they're a little bit... They're 20 feet away from the road. <laughs> they're 20... And it is a busy street, like constant traffic going back and forth. And despite the cliche that a guy isn't going to ask for directions, just walk five feet and ask somebody. And they do run into somebody at that uh, gas station, a... Um, oh, yeah, this is, this, this is the, the scene that they steal from Friday the 13th. Exactly. Yeah, they run into the crazy old man who's warning them that there's a madman out there. No! 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 Wake him up and he's knocking about! 
wife him up. Who, who the hell has the right wrong? For the wife from the woods is right in there. For the likes of you. Who are you talking about? You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, like, as much like the rest of the storyline is so blatantly stolen from, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this scene is so blatantly stolen from Friday the 13th that I almost kind of, like, my jaw just kind of, like, fell open, like, as I was watching it. I'm like, wow. I mean, really? Like, I mean, you're stealing from classics. <laughs> I mean, this... We're going to go into some of the background of this movie in a little bit. I just want to focus on the on the plot. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. What, what what of it there is? So we've already talked about that their their vehicle breaks down, and uh, as they do in most horror movies, the group of four they split apart. Two of them go to get some gas, mm-hmm. uh, some petrol. They're going to go find it. Maybe they'll run into another <laughs> dilapidated, empty uh, petrol station. And the other two decide to stay by the van to make sure it doesn't get stolen or whatever. Uh, and they're in the middle of the woods, basically. Yep. And one of them, the spiky, spiky hair douchebag, goes out to the woods to take a piss, and he gets killed by Hammerhead, who just pops out of nowhere, and he gets his uh, head saran wrapped, and he gets his saran wrapped to a tree. I love the head wraps. Around. I mean, I, that, <laughs> like, like I, I made, I, you know, that is absolute. That's my favorite part of the movie. Like when that happened, keep in mind, this is halfway through the movie. The movie's half over by the time this happened. Oh yes. You know, so, so we, ba- we basically just sat through, you know, 35 minutes of nothing, you know? So, so by the time this actually happens, you know, I was so excited that something might actually worthwhile happen in this movie. Uh, because I was, ex- I liked the idea that there, you know, here's this killer who's going to smash in their head and then, you know, and then wrap their heads in cellophane. Sure. And, you know, I mean, at the very least I thought that, you know, this it'd be a good excuse for some uh, interesting violence. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get. Yeah. But uh, that was not to be. Nope. Uh, not at all. The saran wrap scene occurs, and the uh, the, the the pregnant woman, uh, whose name I think was Katie. I think that's what it is. Uh, if I'm wrong, just edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> she she goes looking for this uh, spiky haired dude, and she comes upon his corpse. Yes. Saran wrapped uh, to a tree, uh, and she tries to to uh, to help him uh, well help him down. I guess uh, loosen his corpse, and then Hammerhead jumps out again, and we get our at this point really the second of I don't know twenty eight chase scenes that occur in the movie. Well, it's not the second because you remember the first seven minutes of the movie is nothing but chase scenes. Yeah, well, that's yeah. just well, I, that's just one. Or we're, are we calling that number one? Yeah, that's oh, number okay. one. All right, so yeah, then this is number two. Because there really wasn't any chasing for for Spikey. He just kind of got killed. Oh, just in case anyone was confused, by the way, you mentioned that this was happening at the halfway point of the movie, but you also said that we're only 35 minutes in. How can that be, Mo? Because it's the shortest fucking movie ever. (laughs) The the movie is uh, 72 minutes, 73 minutes, something like that. It's really short. It's not a movie, really. It's more like a uh, short stretched out to uh, 72 minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This this movie would have been ideal at forty minutes tops. It would have been tolerable, though it wouldn't have solved the problem. Oh no, no, it still would have been just as bad. It just would have been shorter. Oh right, shorter when it comes to something that's bad is better. Yeah, everyone who's listening, please remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll get a lesson in that again and again and again. 
Oh, and I'm um, sure, and I'm sure eventually people are going to say, "Yeah, why don't you try that with the podcast too, assholes?" <laughs> I, fuck you, people. <laughs> We're trying our best here. We had to watch this movie. Thank you. Yeah. I had to watch it twice. So the <laughs> the uh, the pregnant girl, Katie, maybe uh, she uh, gets captured by Leatherface. Now he runs after her. <laughs> you and... called him Leatherface. Oh, did I? <laughs> <laughs> Not Leatherface uh, <laughs> chases after Katie. Maybe we should go back on that. <laughs> no, no, no. Keep it. That's hilarious. All right, all right. So she she gets uh, chased by Hammerhead, Hammerhead. <laughs> who catches up to her despite having the corpse of spiky-haired guy over his shoulder. And he is just as, by the way, Hammerhead is just a spindly dude. He's not Kane Hodder. He's just a little fucking guy. Yeah, there's nothing and, intimidating about Yeah, we totally forgot to mention the fact that there's nothing intimidating about Hammerhead at all. Like he's, he's wearing like a, a shirt and and tie, right? Because yeah, yeah, he's basically that, he's basically wearing a disheveled business suit, you know. He's he's wearing like slacks and uh, you know, and, and, a, and a button-up shirt, you know. Yeah, I guess he kind of reminded me of uh, in the worst possible sense of David Cronenberg's character in Nightbreed, yeah. uh, how he like is like a regular businessman he puts on his weird mask. Not as good as that, by the way, and I'm speaking as someone who only kind of likes Nightbreed. <laughs> uh, so he, he catches up with her, and he uh, ties her up with this red rope. He's got like a bag of tricks, uh, and he's got this red rope that he, he ties her up with, and it's not it, – it, he doesn't tie it well. Let's just go that far yeah. uh, because later – and we'll see why that is later. So, so he's taking care of half of the, the protagonists at this point. Uh, and then we have two um, – wait for the other two to come back. And they do. They come back. And when they do, they find Hammerhead rifling through the, <laughs> the van. That, I have to say, that's like one of my favorite parts of the movie. Just the idea that he killed these two people, or he, he killed one of them and tied the other one up. Yeah. And he, he decided that the, the, what he was going to do to follow that up was just kind of like to dig through their van just to see what they had. Maybe there's some change that he could steal or something maybe, like that. Maybe there's like an old like trickster tape, you know, in there. Or uh, <laughs> maybe, hey, if, we, if the soundtrack to his uh, his chase scenes are any well, that's why I assume there had to be. You know, that that's where they got the soundtrack from. I assume there's some car they found an old, you know, tape from some '80s hair metals. You know, yeah, uh, no. Very possible. Now let's let's face it. There's there's no tension in these chase scenes because no. for one thing we don't care about any of the characters. We just don't. There was never any opportunity for. Yeah, us there's no care. there's no sympathy at all because we don't care about them. There's they're they're four random people who mean nothing. Yeah, and I mean you know how in Texas Chainsaw Massacre you have the character in the wheelchair and that guy's really irritating. Yeah, and kind of hope that he does die because <laughs> then then you wouldn't have to listen to him whine anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, think about that except it's kind of all four characters you don't care you you don't really want to see them die but you just don't really care either way maybe if i knew that one character was pregnant i would have felt felt like an ounce of sympathy but in this case it just wasn't happening yeah and 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 we definitely have to remember to get back into the whole concept of her pregnancy later yeah yeah Uh, well and and then let's get back to the violence a little bit as well um now i expected a certain amount of gore from this movie I am not a gorehound. I don't give really a shit about uh, movies having a ton of violence in them. Like I said, I'm going for cheap thrills here because it's already shown itself that it's not going to be delivering actual quality. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking for something a little bit more visceral and interesting. Well, that is not the case. <laughs> now, this is the first time I'm going to mention that the director, Bryn Hammond, 
ran at some point, uh, just a few years ago, his own magazine in the UK. And it was a horror magazine uh, for horror films called Gore Zone. So, if, it's a, if he ran a magazine called Gore Zone, and by the way, yes, those title screens, yes, this person ran a magazine. Okay. <laughs> Editor. <laughs> Editor yeah. of the magazine. Both Mo and myself have, have actually seen an, an issue and read an editorial, and that's those title screens were definitely written by the same person. It's it's pretty amazing. And we're just stating facts here, folks. Yeah, try, trying not to get too into it. <laughs> right, right. So he, he ran a magazine called Gore Zone, and he actually owns this uh, brand called Gore Zone. This movie, the the violence is pathetic like really pathetic yeah i was i was thinking that you know myself uh, i was thinking that myself while i was watching the film you know the, the, the yeah the fact that the guy owns a magazine called gore zone and the gore in this film was so bad like even like the like even like the the strewn body parts you know it's it, like it still looks i mean really fake and really like amateur you know Amateur is really the word to use. And there are a couple of scenes, because our uh, antagonist in this movie, Mr. Hammerhead, he likes to hammer people with his hammer. (laughs) There's a part where he nails uh, one of the characters' hands into a tree. They give us a nice close-up, and that nail is obviously just being held between two fingers. I mean, it is so obvious. And I'm not even looking for this sort of thing. And then the character is supposed to rip their hand away, so basically pulling their hand off of this nail. And there's just no way, right? It just does not look in in any way legitimate. And and it's hard not to look at it and kind of laugh at how goofy it is. And I mentioned earlier that the idea that this character wields a a little tiny hammer, maybe that could be kind of interesting because he could – you know, he, he could really get into the violence of it because he's beating people to death with a little hammer. But because they're using a real one, it can never make any contact. So people get hit to the ground, and he just kind of hits the ground next to their head again and again and again. And they never and, actually show it and show anything either. Like, they, like they'll, they'll show him lifting his arm and bringing it down, you know, and you hear the thud of his hammer obviously hitting the ground, <laughs> you know, and, and, but they can't ever show what's happening to the person's head. Mo, I have to ask you a question. Please. Do you like pro wrestling? Uh, you know, I did up until the late 90s, and then and then I kind of broke away with it. I think a lot of people are in the same boat as you. Yeah. I, I'm certainly like that as well. And th- this is not meant to uh, that anyone listening to this should care about pro wrestling at all. But there's a concept in pro wrestling called selling. And that is <laughs> yeah. when, when someone hits somebody, they sell the injury. They make it look like it hurts. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes uh, people pretend things that, uh, that are supposed to hurt don't hurt, and they call that no-selling. Well, Hammerhead as a character is the king of no-selling, because it doesn't matter what happens to him. You never worry about him. Like, worried, like you'd worry about him. But <laughs> oh no, Hammerhead! <laughs> oh, please. I-, I worried about him because I cared more about him, I suppose. But He was the most interesting character in the film, and he didn't say a damn thing. Except for... <laughs> Uh, he gets stabbed and he gets beaten and he gets stabbed again and there's a part where he gets stabbed with a piece of wood and it's supposed to be in his face but they've just tucked it into the eye hole of his mask (laughs) it's the most fucking stupid thing you're likely to see today i love i love the part where the guy who when the guy who gets his hand nailed to the tree uh, i love the part where he stabs Hammerhead, I was about to say Leatherface myself, uh, <laughs> Hammerhead, like, in the gut, 
And then, like, Hammerhead sort of, like, falls into his arms, like, lovingly. <laughs> and he's holding the yeah, stick yeah. to his stomach. Like, so obviously he's just holding it there. <laughs> just let it go and just fall on the ground. And that that is the extent. I mean, you're talking about a movie that can't even afford glue. Uh, they can't even afford, like, s- some sort of thing to attach a piece of wood to people. Th- this is, I mean, this is kind of the core problem with the movie. But Hammerhead, as a character, you never think that he is... And, I mean, certainly we're used to kind of killers that are unstoppable, right? The Michael Myers that you can shoot, you can blow up, and you can you can uh, run him over with a train. Yeah. And they're going to keep coming back. But yeah, the but, the, pro- but is, the problem is is that Hammerhead is is completely stoppable. Like, everybody in the film kicks his ass. Exactly. And I'll mention, he kind of is asking for it. Like, he pops up behind people in ways that... And then gives them opportunities to turn around and start struggling yeah. and punching them and stuff like that. So he gets his ass kicked the entire movie and gets stabbed a bunch of times. And... <laughs> like, there's a part where one of the characters, one of the two remaining characters, now since we know uh, that the first two are taken out of action at the beginning, uh, or halfway mark, he fights Hammerhead, and he eventually uh, gets him on the ground and takes his hammer and beats him with it. Yeah. And then he walks away, and Hammerhead gets up and starts chasing him again. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, it was it was it was an attempt at the whole supernatural, you know, killer type thing. But it, it, yeah, it was it, again much like everything else in this movie was done so poorly that you know, I mean, like 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 the problem is you're in the middle of the woods. So when the guy starts shuffling around on the ground, I mean, like I don't know if it's like I imagine it was supposed to build tension that he would just kind of pop up into frame, but you can hear him getting up. Yeah. <laughs> um. We should mention as well that there are really only two locations in the in the movie. Uh, there is, of course, well, there is the van, uh, but in terms of actual locations, there's the woods where all the chasing occurs. And the and, house. And I was going to say Leatherface again. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Hammerhead's the Hammer House. The Hammer, Hammerhead. yeah, the Hammer House. <laughs> he... The MC Hammer House, uh, but he... Um, you know, he I was going to avoid the MC Hammer jokes. <laughs> um, he lives in, a, like, a dilapidated... Let's just say it, another Leatherface or Texas Chainsaw Massacre style house. But this is not a house with the production design of Robert Burns. This is this is just a bunch of shit strewn no, no, all over th- the place. No, no, this is a derelict house. I mean, this is really yeah. a, a, this is really just like dilapidated real house. Like there, like like that house is probably actually condemned. It was probably unsafe for them to shoot there. I would say that's very likely. It reminds yeah. me actually of my great grandmother's house that I grew up next to, which they were just on the like the it was being torn down within a few years, and that's what it looked like on the inside, where everything is just kind of strewn around, and yeah. it looks like an abandoned house. Which you know you got to use what you have, but yeah, I'm not holding that against them. I'm not not at all. It's just you know the, the, it, it, there was no style to it. It was all just right. dirt. It's just dirt, and we do see that our uh, pregnant character from earlier is is tied up in the uh in this house supposedly in, supposedly in the attic oh is that really what it was that, that's what it said it said in the movie she was supposed to be tied up in the attic room <laughs> in the attic room that's what of i said the attic room i should mention by the way in the opening uh, credits if you uh listen back uh i believe that this is me- mentioned in the in your little uh, spiel at the beginning <laughs> that these are all very young teenagers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we have a. You know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because I totally forgot about that while I was actually watching the movie. Uh, Very young teenagers. So, so what is it supposed to be like? A 13 year old pregnant chick? I mean, it, it's funny because 
when you give, you could just say they're supposed to be teenagers and we, okay, so they're 18 or 19 or whatever. But when you say very young teenagers, then you're thinking like 14 or 13. Yeah. I mean, these folks, are they're obviously late teens, early 20s, most likely early 20s. I was going to say more, most likely mid-20s. <laughs> most likely, but I think they're supposed to be college students because it starts at a college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, they're, they're absolutely supposed to be college students. But so that opening where they're, they're called very, young, I mean, it's, oh man. This, it's completely nonsensical. Movie. Yeah. And it's, again, just words, just stupid fucking words. So, so is this movie supposed to be like one of those like Monty Python, like British surrealism thing going on? Like what, like now I'm confused. There's a couple of moments in this, which made me think that they were supposed to be intentionally humorous. There's a part where during one of the chase scenes where one character kind of like stops for a moment and then is immediately tackled by Hammerhead. And I'm like, hey, that is that supposed to be funny? Uh, but I'll tell you what, if you have to ask yourself, is that supposed to be funny? Then it's not really doing it. Or like, or like the scene where Hammerhead smashes into the room where the Preggers chick is hiding and she, and she beats him. Beats him. Not just hits him. Beats him with a severed leg. Yeah, right. I mean, look, I know that that... Sounds amusing. Uh, it's it's it is amusing compared to the rest of the film, but th- we are picking it. I mean, we're we're just grasping at anything we can at this point. Yep. Um, especially at that point because you're talking about the last ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it should be no uh, surprise at this point that our pregnant woman, again, who I didn't know was pregnant, she's the the final girl of this. She is our Malin Burns type character in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not we, we can't we can't avoid those those comparisons <laughs> <laughs> i mean she you know she does it would be like if you were describing the texas chainsaw massacre to someone and someone used that description to make a movie off of because it's not yeah. like they actually uh, grasped it in, in, in any kind of uh legitimate way because she does run and she does scream and a person in a mask is chasing her, but it's nothing. It's nothing that you want to watch. No. Um, and uh, this character manages to survive. And like I said, <laughs> Hammerhead takes all of this abuse, and eventually he takes so much abuse that he just dies. There's no real kind of uh, climactic, now she got him. It's just that yeah, she it's just him. the end. And, yeah. and then he dies. Yep. Uh, and... Earlier in the movie, he got beaten to the point where we thought he was dead, and then he was still alive. So uh, the fact that the, the end title card says that he's still out there, careful, everybody, based on a true story, it's, I mean, fuck this movie. <laughs> the Summer of the Massacre. It's such an awkward title, too. I mean, it's it just, it the, doesn't roll off the tongue. Well, it's, it's like, it's like, angry. it's like Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, not even sure what they were really going for. Now we've talked about, uh, we made little jokes over the last two podcasts about things being passion projects, about the idea of making the movie and being kind of really personally invested. I would describe this movie, and maybe it's just me, as a vanity project. Uh, given given what we know about the the one person who who had the most to do with the production of this film, I would say you're probably right. Now, we're going to be really careful now uh, how we're going to actually describe this. But the director of this movie, uh, again, was someone who owned their own magazine, and 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 we again, I've only ever read one issue of this magazine, but I can tell you that they were promoting the movie 
in the magazine. I can also tell you that they eventually distributed copies of the movie with the magazine. So, I mean, there was a, not exactly a juggernaut behind it, but there was something <laughs> that was out there promoting this film as it was being made and, and after it was made. And declaring it a hit. And declaring it a hit. And using quotes from, from people in it. I mean, we will say that on the IMDb page of the filmmaker Bryn Hammond, and I would strongly suggest that everybody goes to the IMDb page of the director. Oh, you need to. You need to. Yeah. You have this, to. This, is, this, isn't, this isn't a request. This is a demand. You need to go to go look at this. Type in the Summer of the Massacre on IMDb and go to the director's page, and it speaks for itself. I'll link it on my review, uh, and it, it'll already be up at this point. They, they promote this movie, uh, even on this IMDb page, as being a cult hit, as being ha- having critical acclaim from around the world, from director, directors like Toby Hooper. Yes, Toby Hooper, the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> and George Romero. And I'll tell you what, if those two men sat down and watched the first two minutes of this movie and didn't go, Jesus, this kid could use a fucking editor or a, <laughs> a writer friend who could look over this. I just can't even imagine, right? I mean, you, you have to understand, he, he ran his own magazine. Yeah. So there was a lot of contact with these sort of people. And I mean, this magazine, it looks all right. It does. It really does, except for the editorials. But, I mean, it, it was a pretty professional-looking magazine. So the fact that, uh, that he got people to actually see his movie, I actually feel a little embarrassed for those people for maybe, you know, maybe going a little easy. I, I'm just saying, it's possible. Maybe. Oh, my God, I just totally remembered two really funny things that happened in the movie. And I, I got I to gotta mention them before I forget. Please do. Okay. Do you remember the scene where he, I forget who he's chasing? I th- I, it might have it might have been Preggers, it might have been Spiky Head. I don't remember. He was chasing somebody through a cornfield, and he stops in the cornfield, grabs one of the ears of corn, and just kind of screams at it. Like that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, where it, it gives the impression that there might be some like, some like intentional not, humor. Yeah, like I mean, like as a as a writer of comedy skits, I could tell you that if I was writing a humorous version of of a movie like this, I would do that. <laughs> you know, I I would have the person stop and scream into an ear of corn. You know, just. You know, just for no reason. I, you know, he could be chasing the person who he's supposed to be chasing, but no, he's screaming into an ear of corn. Like Hammerhead is a very comic character. Like, like there's a he does a lot of really funny, stupid things. But there's another. But there's another scene. One of the other reasons why I thought he was part dog is. Do you remember at the end when he's chasing Preggers? <laughs> you know, I can't. I, I'm, I refuse to call her by any other name than Preggers because I don't know what the name was for the character. But do you remember he stops? And sniffs the ground. Ladies and gentlemen, the unique and world famous attraction, Singing Dogs. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) 
Wow, it's all coming together. Your theory is quickly uh, gaining steam. My hypothesis is quickly becoming a theory. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to send this out into the scientific community and see what they bring back. Yes, well, uh, I do not recommend that anyone goes and picks up the the Summer of the Massacre, despite the fact that, according to its IMDb page, there was a bidding war that uh, occurred. (laughs) People bidding about trying to get copies. They want to put this out, let the world see it. Well, it did end up going straight to DVD. Not surprising, right? Yeah, Um, and, 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 and... And how many years before the movie <laughs> came out did that? That's a little work? bit confusing because the IMDb page does say that the movie came out in 2006. The closing credits say 2004. Uh, the IMDb page uh, for Bryn Hammond, the director, it says it's 2007. Confused. It says 2002 at some point, and also 2007. Uh, and then it mentions that it was a remake uh, in 2005. So it, it's a little it's convoluted to say the least. But I will tell you one thing. It's shit no matter when it came out. And it also, I mean, that, but, but that whole uh, time discrepancy thing certainly helps to uh, explain the, uh, the, the, the interesting uh, pregnancy in the film. Yeah, interesting pregnancy. I, I mean, I would not be surprised if, if one of the characters, one of the actresses in the film legitimately got pregnant at some point and they had to write it in because those final scenes, which I mean, yeah, I'm just pre- guessing. Yeah, preggers looked preggers. She looked, yeah, yeah, in those final scenes. She looks pregnant. In the first half of this one-day movie, she does not look pregnant. Yeah, I no, mean, no, no. Just, yeah, there, there, is, there is without a doubt, there is without a doubt a f- at least five to six-month gap between whenever they shot those van scenes and whenever they shot the closing scenes. Because, yeah, she goes from no stomach, you know, and, and you can just watch the movie and see, because when she's, when she's uh, changing... You know, putting our, when I say changing, I mean, you know, going from not wearing a jacket to wearing a jacket. You know, she's got a flat stomach. She's not, she doesn't look pregnant at all. Then the end of the movie, she's, you know, she's certainly carrying and looks like she's ready to burst. Yeah, no, it's it's obvious at that point. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and and it, it's just another element of ridiculousness and short-sightedness in regards to this movie. I, that's the that's one of the worst continuity errors I've ever seen. Like somebody actually manages to give birth, you know, during the course of the film. <laughs> a film uh, that takes no, place no, over the course of one day. She didn't give birth. No, I know what I'm saying though. It's like she goes from she goes from being No, she couldn't have given birth because the baby uh, the didn't baby make was it. lost. She the baby lost, was lost the baby. Yeah, we find out that in the uh, in the closing title that the baby was lost, and uh, like I said, that would have had emotional res- resonance to me if I knew that she was pregnant at all throughout the movie itself. Uh, maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Now I'm going to talk about things in this movie that I liked. Uh, and I've already and, mentioned the one thing in this movie that <laughs> I liked. Um, I think compared to the production values of uh, the two other movies that we've talked about so far, Scarlet Fry's Junk Food Horror Fest <laughs> and, uh, and Hip Hop Locos, uh, which, by the way, please go back and listen to those episodes because there's just more anger and hate spewed uh, there. <laughs> I think that the production values here are better. Uh, I think it looks better. I, I think the, the sound vi- issues... I, I think the video production quality is better. I think the audio production quality is better than Scarlet Fry, but way worse than, than Hip Hop Locos. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. Uh, so the audio quality, I mean, in terms of dialogue, you can hear what they're saying, but certainly audio <laughs> but, editing is... But their fucking accents are a little rough at times. This is your ticket. I'm done. Are you having a laugh? What do you mean am I having a laugh? This is the curb mobile. Look at that 
Sully there's a rock. This is my shag wagon, darling. Uh-huh. Their accents are a little rough at times. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say, I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't think that the acting in this movie is that bad. I think that they do. Maybe it's just because they have British accents and it makes everyone seem really smart. <laughs> but uh, but they, they seem, they don't seem like they're, they're not necessarily delivering dialogue in a legitimately real feeling way because it seems like they're just making it up. But the way that they interact, it's not like they're stumbling over all their words. They really do seem to have a grasp over, in terms of how they should look and act on film. They, they, they seem like actors. Yeah. Uh, and, they, hey, I know that, that that doesn't seem like much, but compared to most of these no-budget movies, yeah. it is a step above that. The problem with this movie isn't with the acting. In a, it slightly is with, with Hammerhead because despite the fact that this spindly guy is supposed to be kind of weird looking, I think he overdoes it a little bit with a lot of the grunts and movements. Um, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. But a I lot of it. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I just want to make sure that, that the... Um, the criticism of this movie, and we're just criticizing the movie here, is correctly directed at the, the, the technical aspects of it that are not video quality. The direction, which is, again, just point and shoot. It, there's nothing to it there. The, 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 the dialogue scenes just go on forever. It, it is really painful. Shot in uh, real time. Shot, shot in real time, basically, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there, there are these constant little titles that come up at the bottom of the screen to give you an indication of what time it is and where they are if they're in an unknown place. Comper- completely superfluous, unnecessary, does not give you any um, sense of place or continuity to what's going on. Yeah. You know, the soundtrack, as we already talked about, is also awful. There's a, there's a part at the end when they're in Hammerhead's uh, abode, and it's just... It seems like they're just pressing random. I mean, it, it, the music is just terrible. I mean, it, 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 they're trying to emulate some sort of kind of classical horror theme, but it's just not working. It's, uh, it's, it's bad all around. Well, one of the big problems with movies like this is that they tend, and a lot of them do it, they tend to go the route of hard rock. You know, because they have friends who can just contribute music to them, you know, or or they know somebody who can write something up real quick. You know, it's like a lot of a lot of a lot of these movies do it, whereas they shouldn't be doing that. They should be going for like a more like a deeper sound. Uh, I mean, like now I don't claim to be, you know, that much, you know, that knowledgeable of music that I could say, oh, score a movie. But I mean, but I know for a fact that. That just throwing rock music behind a chase scene is not enough. I mean, exactly what you were saying, Mo. I mean, you think back to Scarlet Fry's Done for the Horror Fest, the same thing was occurring. They would just throw uh, a heavy metal song in the background of a scene, and that was supposed to constitute some sort of score. You know, just this uh, last week, I, uh, I reviewed a, a movie uh, for the, the, the No Budget Nightmares column on Daily Grindhouse called uh, Pirates. Curse of the Snake Island. And yeah, it's a pirate movie. It's a no-budget pirate movie. It's it's not great, but there's a lot to recommend it. But I will say it has a very rousing score. And it, it buoys parts of the movie that would otherwise be kind of stodgy and kind of, uh, and kind of difficult. But it makes it feel kind of adventurous and interesting. It's really appropriate for that movie. Yeah. And sometimes that's all, you know, that can really help. Uh, we're not expecting everyone to be John Carpenter creating these uh, memorable themes uh, on a synthesizer or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but let's but let's put it this way though: on on 
on my podcast, uh, Drunk on VHS, you know, like the opening theme music, well, the, the opening theme music I was using before, you know, before my Halloween episode where I changed it, w- was, you know, was written by a guy who scores films, you know, like, like, like it's not hard to find somebody to score a film. I mean, you could even use library music. I mean, if you have to uh, find yeah, but this music. Movie, but this movie had a $15,000 budget. No, I didn't know that. And that, knowing that, let me, you know, I, I, I have to get in my uh, once a podcast mention of the, my own movie that I worked on a few years ago. Our budget for that movie, in total, was $500. And I can tell you that uh, in terms of music, and I'm, again, I think the movie I made was shit. It's not as shitty as this. Not as shitty as this movie. Mm. That's how that's how I rank these things. By the way, was I able to make a movie that was slightly better than a piece of shit? Hey, at, at least today I did. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Every now and again, sometimes sometimes I compare the uh, the writing, uh, you know, in these movies, especially if they're trying to do something funny, uh, you know, to 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 previous shit that I've written, and you know, think, oh, is that you know, is that funnier than you know than my uh, you know clown news? skit you know and, and a lot of the times no it's really you, you, not. you know mo not to interrupt you but it's not fifteen thousand dollars that it cost 50, it was fifteen thousand pounds. pounds yeah which would be about thirty thousand yeah. dollars which makes it a little bit more embarrassing to think about. <laughs> um maybe maybe it really did take like 12 like eight or nine or ten months to film or something but like what that. was he doing was he paying everybody's cost of living the entire time while that while while they were you know, while they were filming for those nine months, I mean, because like that's what it. I mean, that's that's what it would take. I mean, you know, you know how sometimes uh, a movie costs a lot, and uh, and you read about it afterwards that that money is right up there on the screen. You can see every dollar right up there on the screen. Yeah. The opposite of that is this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, that's 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 very well put. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, you cannot see a dollar on the screen. Uh, no, 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 even, no, no, no. You can see. I'll I'll say you can see you know four quid fifty pence up there because because uh, that's probably how much the uh, the, the hammer cost. Oh, and the, and the mask and the mask yeah, they, and the mask. They might have gotten. I mean, who knows where they got that? Um, but I mean, it certainly wasn't locations, and it wasn't. No, I, I really can't work it out. I don't know what what would have cost so much. Um, maybe video equipment. Maybe. But even at, but even at that, I mean, that even that even that only maybe at tops would have been a couple of grand. Uh, this movie. The Summer of the Massacre is not very good, uh, and it's not recommended that you or anyone you care about uh, should watch it. Um, I, I would, you know, what I would actually venture to say that I enjoyed uh, that I enjoyed Hip Hop Locos more than I enjoyed this. Why do you think that is, Mo? Because I can laugh at Hip Hop Locos more than I can laugh at this. Like th- this, this movie doesn't have any like redeeming comedic value. This one makes me feel. More. Uh, this one makes me a little bit angrier than Hip Hop Locos. Because yeah. Here, there, the, the, there were there were things available to the people making this movie uh, that that were not available that you could tell were not available to the first two movies that we've covered on this podcast. That that there were opportunities here to do something interesting, to do something special. To I mean, <laughs> let's the tagline to the movie. Is and if I can pull it up here, is the UK's answer to Jason Voorhees. So their internal opinion of what this movie is is hugely overblown, right? Yeah. This they think that they made 
a great movie. So, they think so, that there was a bidding war and that this got uh, – it's a cult classic that George Romero and Toby Hooper, they fucking love. So, well, that's, so, so that's really funny that, 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 that they, were, they were comparing it to Friday the 13th while blatantly ripping off Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, we've seen we've seen lots of slasher movies where they're just basic ripoffs of of popular movies. Well, yeah. That's fine. I don't really care. Yeah, yeah. I don't even I don't even have an issue with that. I don't give a shit if they you know they want they want to rip off you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's fine. At least make it an interesting film. Yeah, and 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 learn the lessons of that movie. Rip off the best parts of that movie. Yeah. Don't just rip off a person in a mask. Uh, Chasing after someone who's screaming, that does not interest anybody. It certainly doesn't interest me, and I have low standards for everything. Well, no, wait, hold on. You're, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because it interested George Romero and Toby Hooper. I don't believe that. <laughs> don't, I mean, I, look. There I, was a bidding war. <laughs> Toby Hooper, and let's face it, Toby Hooper has made his share of, of bad movies as well. I'm well, just saying, so is Romero. Uh, I mean... <laughs> He's made some shitty fucking movies, yeah. actually. But his worst movie is not The Summer of the Massacre. And George Romero, the guy, you know what? Maybe those glasses that he wears, maybe they're not doing the trick. Because if he did not read the opening crawl and think, what the fuck am I doing? I just can't imagine. I can't imagine what, what, was, what, what could possibly have been going through either of their heads if they indeed gave their blessing to this piece of dog shit. <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe they're like, uh, maybe they're, they're like uh, Ted V. Michaels on Facebook and just saying, "Yeah, that's awesome to everything." Hey, you know, you what? Know, and, no, and no offense to Ted V. Michaels, it's just that you know, I mean, if, if you, you know, everybody knows that if you're on Facebook and you want to add like a little touch of quote unquote class to, uh, you know, to whatever project you're working on, you just you just suggest it to Ted V. Michaels to like it, and it gets liked. Let's uh, let's make it very clear, and I think there was a bit of a question mark earlier this week uh, about this, that uh, we are very pro-no-budget filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is, this is the third movie that we've covered in a row, which have, has been absolutely awful. That's been sort, sort of the purpose of, uh, of this podcast, because it's a little bit more fun and a little bit more interesting for people to hear us be kind of passionately angry at a movie. But I generally, and you can tell this if you go to Daily Grindhouse and read my No Budget Nightmares column, I'm incredibly positive about uh, no-budget filmmaking and low-budget filmmaking. I love low-budget films. Yeah. It's what I'm passionate about. It's what I care about. And it's, it's because I care about it that uh, it makes me a little upset when I see somebody who uh, had the ability to do more with the resources that they were given than they did. And it really does feel like a waste of time. I mean... I've seen people, uh, and if you look, uh, this was actually a couple of months back, a, uh, a young filmmaker named Chris Schwartz did a film called The Crawl Space. He made it by himself with one camera in basically a crawl space, and it has, you know, it, 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 in a lot of ways, it's just kind of a low-budget saw ripoff, but it, it's interesting. It's well shot. There are interesting angles and, and camera work, and the dialogue is fairly decent. That movie... Is uh, has much lower production value than this, but because it's trying to do something, I couldn't help but get caught up into it. It, it and it, it was it was kind of fairly short, but it did exactly what it wanted to do. This movie fails at everything that it attempts. Yeah, but uh, but you know, but getting back to your previous point about our you know the, our love affair with the, with the low no and shoestring budget films, you know, I mean, like that's pretty much the reason why you and I are working together on this is because. You know that that's our common ground on this. We both love no budget films. 
uh, and I and and it, it and yeah, I, you know, I, like I don't write about them as I, uh, too much. Like I tend to stick to you know like eighties action films because they're a little more fun to write about. But um, you know, but but yeah, I mean the, the the love is definitely there. And and I think next week or not next week, but the next time we do one, we're doing a movie that we're that should be fun. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to announce it or anything. But oh, yeah. I want to announce it. Is that okay, though? If I was to announce it, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the only because Mo, because the thought of this movie makes me smile, <laughs> uh, and it makes me. It makes the the memories of the summer of the massacre. By the way, once again, reminder to uh, go to the IMDb page and check out the director's IMDb page. Um, it makes the memory of the summer of the massacre vanish from <laughs> my mind. Uh, the next movie that we're going to feature is not. I'm not going to go as far as to say that it's it's good, but for someone like me and for someone like Mo, it's very, very good. Uh, and that movie will be Las Vegas Bloodbath. Yes. Uh, I, I believe the movie is from 1989, and it is I, – I, I'll tell you this, and uh, this is, again, this is my uh, once podcast uh, – once a podcast mention of my wife. My wife hates horror movies. She hates <laughs> uh, She hates anything – that I, I find I'm passionate about. She just wants to murder. But she watched Las Vegas Bloodbath with me, and she loved it. There are lines that we still quote to each other, and I just I can't wait to kind of rewatch it and, uh, and talk about it again because I think those who don't know that movie are in for a treat. Yeah, yeah, this, this one, I'm, I, I saw this a long time ago. And uh, and so when you when you suggested it, I, of course I, I'm like, yeah, let's do it because I remember enjoying it. So it's going to be a lot of fun to rewatch it and, and talk about that. I'll just be walking down the street and the theme song to Las Vegas Bloodbath will <laughs> pop into my head, and I'll just start humming it and thinking about that movie. And boy, it makes me so happy. Um, in, in the summer of the massacre, it's done. We're finished with this movie. We never have to encounter it ever again. Yeah, I'm never watching this again. Never watch the summer of the massacre and. Frankly, don't support the kind of filmmaking and the uh, the kind of of uh, self promotion and vanity projects that this represents. Uh, I don't think that this is a good thing for low budget filmmaking. No, I, uh, I think it's it's um, it, it's really kind of distasteful. Well, low and, budget and vanity shouldn't go together anyway. Now, now low budget and Apollonia, on the other hand, that's a different story. <laughs> uh, it's okay to be very positive about your own work. Well, it's, yeah, it's, I mean... It's okay to be happy with what you've created, but to pretend that something is what it isn't. But, yeah, be realistic about it. Yeah, when you can when you can watch two minutes of something and know that it is not what you've promised, you're just going to lead to a lot of disappointed people. And uh, even if your your expectations were impossibly low, you would be disappointed by this movie. And our expectations are impossibly low. I was I was hoping on the rewatch that it would be better than I remembered. It was not. Yeah, I, I hopefully we'll never have to rewatch. I think that's it, Mo. Boy, <laughs> this 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 movie brought me down a little bit. So I I'm gonna just start thinking about Las Vegas bloodbath as soon as I can, <laughs> uh, in the hopes that uh, that that it can kind of take the edge off a little bit. But why don't you talk about? We don't really do this. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the the recent uh, work that you've done on Daily Grindhouse and some of the reviews you've done? I haven't done anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the, the last the last two no the last two weeks I've been I've just been working on I mean mm. on podcast stuff almost nonstop. My my two my two biggest, or I should say best reviews, as far as I'm concerned, on there. And these these are the only. I mean, go on there, read my reviews. They're they're short. They're funny. 
Uh, I like to, you know, like they're straight from the gut. I don't like to go into too many details. I, you know, like I'm like, you know, much like, uh, uh, much like the podcast network that my uh, that, that drunk on VHS is on, I, I feel like I'm like I'm like the second unit guy for 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 Daily Grindhouse. I, I bring I bring the action and 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 let everybody else talk about details. But uh, but yeah, my two my two favorite reviews that I've done so far are things things a horrifying sensation that'll rip apart your soul. Uh, which is the one that's probably given me, gotten me the most attention. Canadian classic. Oh God, what an awesome fucking movie! <laughs> you know, <laughs> just amazing and sublime. And you know, it's like it's it's not a movie; it's an experience. I mean, it's it's a it's amazing. And everyone who's listening to this should should go out and seek it out. So yeah, because it's really out above this movie. Yeah, because it's because cer- it's certainly easy enough to find. Yeah. Uh, not thanks to uh, Intervision putting it back, putting it out again. And then, uh, and then the other one is my my massive review for the entire box set of the basement that Camp just uh, recently put out. You have gone where it is forbidden, and released the evil. You must confess. From Camp Motion Pictures, this is the DIY Super 8 horror anthology inspired by Tales from the Crypt and Creepshow. It's The Basement, part of the Camp Retro 80s Big Box VHS DVD 5 Film Collection. Featuring the horrific goodness of video violence and video violence too. The splat-tastic exploitation of Cannibal Campout, and two big box exclusives, Gary Cohen's Captives and The Basement, plus tons of spine-chilling extras like interviews and commentaries, shock-tastic short films, and 8mm outtakes. The Camp Retro 80s Big Box VHS DVD 5 Film Collection. Featuring video violence, video violence to cannibal campout, captives, and the basement. Be afraid. You should thank me for warning you, but instead I'll help myself. Very, very cool. And I mean, I, I really like your style of, of writing, Mo. It's funny because I think we both have an appreciation of, uh, of a lot of 80s movies in particular, but a lot of low-budget filmmaking. But our writing styles are very different. Very. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and, and, and I kind of like that. I like that, that your, like you said, yours, your writing is from the gut. You can really feel your, your passion for it. Uh, I think that uh, while I like to add a little humor to what I write, it's also, there's, it's, Let's face it, it's fucking verbose. I, I love to write, and I'll write and write and write about movies <laughs> if given the opportunity. Uh, currently, my um, I do the No Budget Nightmares column that comes out every Monday on Daily Grindhouse. Every Wednesday, when we're not putting out one of these podcasts, I do an interview with one of the creators of these low-budget movies. Lots of interesting recent interviews. The Hog Caller one was, was great. Yeah, and again, it, it's really giving me a chance to kind of reach out to these filmmakers. Again, I really want to reiterate that that uh, you know this is an opportunity for people to be heard and people to be seen. And I love making these contacts, and there's some really interesting ones coming up. And of course, every Friday I put out uh, the Enter the Fist column about kung fu movies. And the last couple of weeks, uh, I think I, I, <laughs> I just when I start writing, I just can't stop. The last one was on Enter the Dragon. If you haven't checked that out. I would recommend it, and this week, uh, well, actually, the most recent one, as of this taping, 
will uh, be Five Fingers of Death. Nice. And uh, and that should be a, a fun read as well. I would hope so. Hey, I would hope so too, Mo. <laughs> I think that we've uh, we've said all there is to say about the Summer of the Massacre. I'm not saying another word on it. I'm going to pretend it never happened and it never existed. <laughs> the last the last hour never happened. Uh don't don't uh don't read the magazine that once existed that spawned this movie. Don't support filmmaking that that is done strictly for the purpose of self-promotion. Yeah. I mean, in some ways all filmmaking is based on self-promotion, but when when you can see that it's so obviously that there's no real love you know, there's there's imitation and there's there, there's uh, pulling from other influences, but there's no love for the source material and there's no understanding and it's so obvious. Support hardworking, talented young filmmakers who are trying to get their work out there. There's lots of it, so uh, so so keep your eyes out. Amen, brother Doug. Yes, indeed. And uh, by the way, it's uh, it's time for you to give me my salutations <laughs> so so what what are we today uh you know uh what is this ladies love cool leather face leather face man that guy's cool and ladies do love that guy. The ladies uh, love him i mean granted he kills them and eats them but i mean they love him yeah well i mean you know what let's let's let leather face get the props this week he's he's had enough damage done to him by this movie uh <laughs> le- le- long live leather face and uh go fuck yourself hammerhead <laughs> Amen to that. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Katie was found wandering on an off-road dirt track two days later near a small town of 30,000 residents. She was suffering a number of fractures to the ribs and had internal bleeding caused by multiple hemorrhage. She had lost her unborn child. Police were dispatched to the remote forest of Blackwood. On their findings, they discovered a remote farmhouse. What they found within the dark residence were the butchered remains of over 19 victims. The killer, nicknamed Hammerhead, is still at large. I need help. Welcome back, everybody, to WDGX. This is Mo, and with us now is Miscellaneous Plumbing Fixtures with a vampire song, a plea for Cushing and Lee. Too many rules for me to just jump in now. We have 
old-fashioned literate that they should attack at night. But still the bad guys right. I miss the cushy family giving it all that they were worth. I miss the British about the limpness of it all. To the death, I miss the underlying violence of it all. I miss the garlic, holy water, and a good steak to the chest. An old man in tweed, indeed, was all you needed. But when a vampire came to call, but when he came to call, is at Doug underscore Tilly. Katie was found on an off-road... Fuck, this is written bad.